Hey friend, you're listening to the Devoted Women Podcast. The audio you are about to listen to is a recording from our in-person Bible study meeting and is intended to be listened to after having completed the lesson in your workbook. So for this particular study, you can head on over to amazon.com, search Engaging God's Word Genesis, get your copy, do the work, and then hit play. We are so glad that you have joined us. Okay, so last week we left chapter 16 with Abram and Sarai in quite a predicament. Um, Sarai makes a suggestion to help move along the promise of God. We know that God promised that Abram will um, be given descendants as many as the sand, as many as the stars, and like Candace said last week, their impatience and human inability to understand the way God works drives them to take matters into their own hands. Abram follows his wife's way of thinking and wavers in his trust in God's ability to fulfill his covenant. Hagar becomes pregnant and everything goes south from there. um, There is a conflict there is conflict between Sarai and Hagar and also Sarai and Abram. We saw um, Hagar flee into the wilderness and we see God show up in the sweetest of ways on her behalf. He hears her, he speaks to her, and he sees her. She calls him El Roy, the God who sees. And here, um, a little fun fact about that. This is the only time in the Bible where someone renames God. We do see God do renaming on his own. We're going to see that in our chapter 17. But it's one place that um, this is the only place that happens, that someone renames God. So that's interesting, fun, little fact. So this week we open to chapter 17. Um, 13 years after Ishmael is born to Hagar, and Abram is now 99 years old. We see the Lord appear to Abram. Right off, God gives himself a new name. On our website this week, we um, I had you take some time and spend time, um, take some time and spend some time studying I am Almighty God, or El Shaddai. And um, I really hope you took some time to do this. We press this um, often in devoted, paying close attention to names of God and attributes of God. And the whole point in having y'all do this is to um, thoroughly get an idea of who God is and... um, We will see in our text, that's exactly um, God's point here, is to give Abram a good picture of who he is. After the blunder of chapter 16, God is reminding Abram of who he is. He is El Shaddai, Almighty God. The The power that is in his name alone is almost incomprehensible. 
Let's go back to the verses given to us on the website before we move on. I just want to read them out to you guys. We're going to go to Daniel 4.35. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? In Psalms 115.3, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Ephesians 3.20, and this is in the New Living Translation. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And then Isaiah 46.9-10, through 10, remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. So when God's saying that he is God Almighty, he is saying these facts about himself to Abram. And it is no coincidence that God reminds Abram of his power and ability and his ability before he calls Abram to walk before him and be blameless. If, we, um, if you took some time in your study time, um, and right now we're going to look at that, to look at different translations of that phrase, um, walk before him and be blameless, um, we'll get a better idea of what that phrase really means. In the King James Version, it says, walk before me and be thou perfect. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. That's the NLT. And in the CSB, it says, live in my presence and be blameless. So we must note that first Abram walks with the Lord or lives in his presence and in God's power is made perfect or blameless. The same is said for us today. We too are made blameless through the blood of Jesus. If we go to Romans 5, 6 through 9, it says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would ever dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been now Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from his wrath through him. This is not a call for good behavior or self-righteousness on Abram's part or on our own, but a call of dedication to the one who has the power to make sinful men righteous. Spurgeon says in another way, he says, remember holiness is a flower, not a root. It is not sanctification that saves, but salvation that sanctifies. Again, the covenant is repeated as we have seen in many of the past lessons. Again, tonight we will see God building on his, promise, on his promises. I want to go back and do a little recap, starting at chapter 12. We see in chapter 12, God calls Abram to leave everything and he reveals the seven promises to the covenant. God calls Abram and he tells him what, he, what the promises are. Then in 13, 
we saw after Lot goes his way, God lifts Abram's eyes and shows him, and then not only shows him the promise that he will inherit, he has him physically walk through the land. In 14, God protects the covenant and land by giving Abram victory over the kings in the land. In 15, God gives the ceremony of commitment with Abram. That's the one Candace covered. Abram was kind of there. He was sleeping, <laughs> um, but he was there. God, you know, gives the, gives the ceremony, and technically Abram was there. And now in 17, despite the fault of Sarai, Abram, and Hagar, God gives Abram even more reassurance. And not only does he speak his promises, but he changes his name to a father of many nations to confirm not only the promise, but also his identity. In, in who God sees him as. Um, on day three of the website, we talked about name changes, the importance of recognizing um, not just the change of names, but um, that it's much more than that. God doesn't just make promises. Those promises become who we are. The internal change that happens when Abraham chooses to walk before God and be blameless that is what this new name and new identity is all about. God is the one making the way, making the change, and fulfilling the covenant. And lastly, we see the addition of circumcision. Here it is. You knew I was getting here. Um, because it's not the most ladylike topic, I did choose to spare you some a little bit of pain and um, I let you study the profit the process of your um, the actual physical act of circumcision in your own home so I will not be walking through um, all of the craziness of actually what physically happens I know for me Candace brought it up earlier in prayer um, when I, I have two boys you're welcome. <laughs> I have two boys, so of course, you know, you have these little bundles of joy. And in my time, I think that you go back now. I said in my, back in my time. Um, <laughs> I'm not that old. Um, I think now you take your babies back to the doctor after a while to get circumcised. But I, when Riley was born, and I think even when Parker was born, they just came and got them before they let you go home. And they asked with both of my kids, who's going in, mom or dad? And is that even a question? Like, dad is going in. Like, this is not my department. The fact that I had to clean it later, and it just is not a topic that we can really relate to, right? So um, without getting too much into the process, I do want to point out that the physical act of circumcision played a huge role in the Israelite community. And though they weren't the only ones in that time to practice circumcision, they were the only people that did it as a sign of the covenant made with God. Being uncircumcised marked those outside of the covenant with God, while those circumcised marked the covenant people of God. This would determine things like marriage and dwelling with certain lands with other people groups. Um, we see several examples where 
um, referred to in the Bible where they refer to someone as an uncircumcised. Um, the Philistines, we see that, and it um, is used to show that the spiritual state of those um, not set apart as God's people. A couple of examples, if you want to go back and read later, is Genesis 34, 14, 1 Samuel 17, 26, and then 1 Samuel 31, 4. This will give you a good idea of those types of circumstance where God um, uses this as an example to differentiate. Whoa! Thank you. Thank you. Um, there are certain words that my mouth just won't say. Thanks, Sonia. Um, between his people and, and those that were not, that did not have a spiritual standing before God. So um, it is important to, to point out, David Guzik points out in his commentary that because circumcision deals with the organ of pre procreation, it was a reminder of the special seed of Abraham, um, which would ultimately bring the Messiah. And um, we did read back in Genesis 3, that seed being the one promised um, who would crush the head of the serpent, which again um, points us to Christ and the work on the cross. Which brings me to my next point and probably my favorite point in this whole chapter. Well, no, I had a lot of good favorite points in this chapter, but um, about circum my favorite about circumcision. <laughs> who thought you would ever hear those words? Um, <laughs> What I really loved the most about what I found during my preparation for this lesson was the fact that circumcision signified equality. Take that in for a minute. All who were circumcised were gods, and all who weren't were cut off. No pun intended. <laughs> That's the only circumcision joke that I left in here. I had a lot, but I restrained myself. Um, they were cut off from his people. It didn't matter if you were wealthy or poor, master or slave. All shared a common mark of this very humbling experience. You guys, if that is not the most beautiful picture of Jesus, of the new covenant, I don't know what is. I want to read some scriptures um, that also in the New Testament point us to that equality. Um, Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And then the last one we'll find in Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people, and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. All tongues, all people. 
wealthy, poor, master, slave, then and in the future to come. They entered through circumcision that made them equal. We now enter into the promises of God through circumcision of the heart that Candace talked about earlier and undergo an inward change or inward mark marking. Romans 2, 28 through 29 in the New Living Translation tells us, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person was changed. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Each of us in Christ share a common mark, the Spirit of God and the experience of coming to Jesus in humility, admitting that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Picking back up in the second half, we're done with circumcision, kind of, sort of. Um, picking back in verse 15, picking back up in verse 15, God includes Sarai into the covenant. So this is the first time um, until now, all the promises that have been spoken have been spoken exclusively over Abraham. So um, I hope you studied this week and you took some time to find God and all of his attributes in our chapter. I will say the second half of the text is really where I saw those attributes come alive. Um, and not just the attributes, but the redemptive love of Jesus again and again. Um, Candace and I were talking about how the New Testament is always what's, I've, I feel like there's so many, um, we're only in chapter 17 in Genesis, and man, what a picture of beautiful redemption and just it just keeps pointing us back to Jesus again and again and just so beautiful to see that come alive in the Old Testament and um, kind of do away with that just false what's the word I'm looking for come on Sonia <laughs> what do you say Stigma. yes that you know the Old Testament God is all wrath and no compassion and like totally not the case. So I'm, I'm really, it's so beautiful to see that again and again as we go back to these verses. So in, um, I want you guys to think back to chapter 16 and I'm gonna read specifically verses one and two to you. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained, restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. So in this first part of um, 17, we see God include Sarai into this covenant. And I have a couple of things that I, I believe are, is, is why. And um, the fact that God is gracious, merciful, loving, attentive, compassionate, faithful, 
generous and good. And that's just to name a few. I could go on and on. But imagine after just reading what we read in 16, where Sarai would be. This is 13 years after Ishmael had been born. 13 years after this mistake of hers, taking matters into her own hands, a son was born and nothing. 13 years. No more descendants, no progression into this promise that they left everything for. Their home, their inheritance, everything. And here we are, 13 years later, so in, in all of those beautiful, that beautiful picture of who God is, God includes Sarai and changes her names to Sarah because he loves her. It's that simple. He wants her to embrace her new identity too. He reminds her he is faithful and the almighty God sees her too. God will use us no matter our mistakes. God will do things in and through our marriage, even after we make a mess. God calls Sarai, which by itself means princess, and changes her name to Sarah, which means princess of nations. This is a parallel to Abraham's promise in the beginning of our lesson, which brings me to my second point as to why God would include Sarah in this covenant. I'm so glad to be calling them Sarah and Abraham. It feels so much more natural. <laughs> so um, it's important to note here that the role of mother cannot be fulfilled by Abraham. Just as the role of father cannot be fulfilled by Sarah. Man and woman were designed to individually glorify God in the way he specifically designed us to. This is a picture of marriage and our definite roles as male and female. As the princess or mother of nations, Sarah would exalt God's plan. She would produce nations and kings would come from her womb. She would be blessed and barren no more. That was a sweet little addition that Tanea added in my notes. And it when I, because we're together on the computer and as we're typing it out, and she writes, Baron, no more. Um, man, how beautiful is that? Like Abraham, she also received a new identity and a new reality. In all the craziness that seems impossible, Sarah will have a son. This week, we leave with a time frame for this promised child and a name too. His name will be Isaac. God, in his perfect long suffering, keeps pointing our friends, Sarah and Abraham, back to him. And even when they just don't get it, they obey because God Almighty meets them. He loves them and he makes a way for them. So as we close the chapter, chapter tonight, we see Abraham take all the males of his household, young and old, and carry out the command of circumcision. On that day, Abraham at 99 and Ishmael at 13 were circumcised. 
Some might view circumcision as an Old Testament act, but I hope through this lesson you saw the act of circumcision then and the blood of Jesus now level the playing field socially, economically, and also spiritually. We all are held to the same standard in Jesus, a standard that says have a change of heart and mind. It doesn't matter if you're 99 or 13. You must allow God to set you apart through the power of grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and through the power of the Almighty God. And Sila, that is it. That was all. Probably even finished early. Let's go ahead and pray, and we will dismiss. You might have some announcements. God, we just pray over the beauty of your covenant. The covenant that says we are your people. That we are set apart. That we have a new identity. That the impossible is possible when we look to the almighty God. God, what weight is taken off of our shoulders when we really sit and read the verses of the Almighty God. God, you can give women past the age of bearing children, children. You can keep promises over years and years. God, you can do anything. I pray that every heart here that has a circumstance, that they will refocus on you tonight that they will cut away the things of this world that they're holding on to, that are holding them back from just coming fully to you, surrendering all, surrendering their hearts, surrendering their minds. God, just help us. It is in your power, the power of grace, the power of the Spirit, that we can, can be set apart that we can accomplish the things you've called us to, that we can faithfully continue to obey even when things look impossible. God, just refocus us on you tonight. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your encouragement. All of this we ask in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.